everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech episode 48, Virtualization on the Desktop, for May 26th, 2011. This week we're going to uh, continue our discussion on uh, uh, hardware virtualization. We did uh, an episode, gosh, it seems like a year ago now, sometime back, yeah. we did an episode on virtualization in the server room where we had a couple of uh, uh, colleagues of mine who are um, familiar with that. And we talked about how we use virtualization in the server room. And, and this week we're going to talk about on the desktop, why you might uh, want to have a virtual machine on your desktop. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, uh, a bit of uh, feedback that we got from uh, one of our listeners, uh, Darren Murphy, uh, sent us uh, uh, an email. And, you know, we've always been uh, pleading week after week for uh, messages of any kind. And uh, we said, all you have to do is, is just send us messages, even if it's just to say great show. And so that's what Darren has done. His message says, love your show, guys. Great info and well delivered by two smart guys with great on-air chemistry. Thanks. Well, uh, I think the reason we went with this one out of the trove, you know, the yeah, treasure thousands trove, upon the, yeah, thousands of them. is because this one was so accurate. That's, that's <laughs> truth well spoken, right? right. Uh, now, uh, Darren's that's the first one we've had in a while, uh, and you know we're we're desperate here. Send us emails, honestly. But if they're extra complimentary, that's even better. Sure. Yeah. Um, there was a comment on our Facebook page uh, from uh, a friend of mine who have. Uh, I've known for years named Aaron. Uh, he commented on our uh, CDI episode that we did a few weeks back, and he said, uh, it almost uh, makes me want to get a job in education so I can buy from these guys. Really? So I uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. As, uh, uh, he didn't go through the appropriate channels, but I right. did see his feedback. Just to let you know, <laughs> we do watch our Facebook feed, and we do see what goes on there. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Facebook, Sean had something he wanted to say about oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and you you know this because I posted about it today, but uh, it just it strikes me as I go through my Facebook feed how many uh, I want. They're just spam, really. But you get those things, you know, so-and-so got a new high score oh, on this yeah. game. And, or I need three more nails for my stable or whatever. Right. You know, it, it's all of those things. And I'm just sitting there, and it, it just seems like this – endless stream of these things and maybe that speaks to the quality of person i follow but uh i'm just sitting there thinking <laughs> what are these people doing you know what do they not have anything better to do and uh you know i know you well enough and you know what my day my day-to-day -day is like and i just can't imagine having the time to do all of that stuff yeah. and or the want honestly yeah even yeah. if i had the time if i were sitting at home stone bored with nothing else to do right. i could find some other way to spend my my time right than you know, raking vegetables on facebook yeah and you know as far as that goes hey it, your free time is your free time you know spend it how you want but i mean obviously either these people have free time all day long or somebody's paying them to do a job <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good point <laughs> so yeah uh, and uh I, maybe that's the old boss in me i don't know but uh but and that was the gist of my post was you know that um, the USA would take like every gold medal in the Olympics if it, if they had Facebook games as, <laughs> as an Olympic sport. So uh, it, although it, I have been known, I, I I know that you have been known to play a little Zynga poker from time to time. I did I did try that for a while. Uh, uh, you know I love to play some poker, but uh, I tried it, I played it, and then it wasn't real poker. Like you know right. guys like you and me, you know we're gonna be drawn to a game like that because 
there's there's some strategy there's some inherent strategy there and uh no not so much on on zynga poker so yeah I, I tried it for a while had some fun with it but in the end it was just it really wasn't that much fun so yeah just uh we've mentioned poker and sean's uh uh tendencies there uh, <laughs> a few times before about a year ago a little more than a year ago now he got me into the game and and i, I gotta tell you I've, I've become quite the avid poker player myself so any listeners out there enjoy a game maybe we'll get together online sometime and and play a little poker right that would be fun be that fun. would be fun yeah a lot of a lot of strategy there a lot of math based uh uh, just gaming strategy, uh, in poker that uh, the casual player is completely oblivious to, but, uh, a lot of fun. You know, it's funny. I saw an article where I think it was a school, it was in the Northeast, maybe Connecticut or something like that, but a teacher actually got approved to teach poker in the classroom based off of the game theory aspects yeah. of the game. But I was really shocked that a school district would go for that. When I was in high school, uh, I think it was algebra two, uh, we, uh, we played craps for a week. And studied the mathematics of, of craps really? and, uh, wow. and probability and, and why, uh, you're more likely to roll a seven than any other number. Right. Uh, and that's, sort of oh, thing. yeah, yeah. You get the nice little graph of the seven and it's like a little pyramid going right. down. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. So your seven and 11 are your mathematically most probable because of the numbers on the dice. And, and, uh, we, we had to calculate all that. Of course, that's the typical way we educate. First, uh, we make you figure it out the hard way and then we show you the shortcut. Right. And so after yeah. we had already figured out all the problems, probabilities uh as an assignment then the teacher showed us that somebody else had had done this out to an nth degree we didn't talk about betting the pass or the come or the or any of those other things i can't remember what they're called now right uh, but uh, we just talked about the uh um uh mathematics of it. and i often wondered if my teacher maybe you know liked to gamble a little bit and that was just his yeah. way to get it into the classroom <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> he was he was spending every weekend at the casino <laughs> And I just wanted to throw something out that that doesn't have anything to do with anything. But uh, if you're uh, a member of our audience, a, a listener to our show, and you work from home, and you really actually work from home, yeah, I, I got to take my hat off to you because that is hard. Um, we're recording the show on Tuesday. Ordinarily, we do it on a on a Monday, uh, but yesterday I had a, a little girl who was who was ill. And so I stayed home with her and I transferred all my calls from the office and I had uh, my VPN set up. So I was here. So I was, I wasn't out of office. I, I'm never out of office. We, we have these forms that we have to fill out absent from duty forms. And I've never filled one of those out because I'm never absent from duty. Even when I'm right. not here, I'm here, you know, my phone's ringing or I'm, I'm emailing or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, yesterday, was a, it was a typical Monday. Mondays are always busy days. Something always breaks over the weekend. I don't know why right. that, why that is. Uh, but I had my cell phone burning up. I literally had to charge it halfway through the day because I had, had used, uh, uh, been on it so much, so many phone calls from, from calls that I had transferred to it. I was on the VPN. I was working with servers and I had a six year old who was feeling better, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. not well enough to go out and play yet. So I had to right. entertain her and keep her busy. So I just want to say, if you work from home, I take my hat off to you. Working from home is hard. It's not the, the vacation that people seem to think it is. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I would even really enjoy it. You know, people talk about how much they'd enjoy it. I probably would enjoy the not having to commute thing and, and, uh, you know, some of that stuff, not having to get all dressed up and, you know, that'd be really nice. But, uh, 
I just trying to stay focused. So either you're, it's going to be one of the two, like the situation you described where you were, you were bombarded, right? right? Still, uh, working from home or the other way where, you know, maybe it's project based and, you know, you've got a deadline two months from now and boy, how easy it would be to just, you know, pop some popcorn and watch some TV, <laughs> you know? <laughs> what, what I found out though is, so my wife went to work and I stayed home and, um, at the end of the day, she was like, Oh, did you get a chance to do this? No, honey. I was working. Well, how, how come right. you didn't do this? I was working. I think it's interesting that we, we, when we work from home, we forget that whole work part. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm, I imagine people who, who do that all the time. Um, if you have a spouse uh, or, or a parent, maybe whoever you live with, uh, probably get that expectation a lot. You know, you, did you do anything today? I mean, did you take out the trash? Did you mow the lawn? Why, why didn't you do it? You were here all day. <laughs> I was working. Yeah. Well, and then that's where they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I think that's the attitude. People are like, yeah, sure you were. That's because when they're in their office, they're playing Facebook games all day. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they don't work at work, so why would they work at home? <laughs> and on that note, I'll move into uh, this is the last week of our uh, uh, 2011 spring sellout competition that we've got going on, contest uh, here. And um, you've heard me talk about it now four times uh, for four different episodes, but I'll do it one more time. Uh, for the entire month of May, we're running our spring sellout contest, and the uh, winner gets a Dell DJ Diddy 512 megabit uh, MP3 player. Uh, not not a uh, super fantastic device, but a nice little handy thing to have, uh, particularly for a podcast listener. It's uh, You can put it in your pocket and go running with it or whatever. And along with the MP3 player, a T-shirt t- from the Tightwad Tech Store. And the way you enter this contest is that you go online somewhere to a public uh, forum, uh, YouTube, or um, you can't do Google Video. They're, they're not around anymore. Uh, right. Or you could, uh, uh, if you have a podcast, you could do it there. Or if you have a blog, you could do it there. Or go to somebody else's blog. Just don't be a spammer about it. But go to some public place and create a review of either the Taiwan Tech in general or uh, a particular show or Sean's hair. Just mention <laughs> in some way the Taiwan Tech. Right? Make your review about that. Then come back to our forum at thetightwadtech.com. We've got a forum set up uh, for the contest. And post a link with a short description to your review. And the best review, the wittiest, the funniest, the uh, just overall best by whatever description uh, at the end of the month, we'll, we'll give, uh, give you through the month of May to put them up there. And then in June, uh, we'll uh, let our community vote on it. And then Sean and I will disregard those votes and pick what we like best. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, not, not entirely. It's good being king. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always think that that's probably what they do on those radio shows or whatever when they have contests like that, because it always seems to be that the popular your one doesn't win so it's right so we're gonna let you vote and then we're gonna pick the one we like anyway yeah Um, but the winner will then get uh these goodies the mp3 player and the t-shirt so i i really hope this will be a fun thing to do and maybe we'll do it uh uh every so often where uh good publicity for the show and some fun at the same time so as i've mentioned before we're not really necessarily interested in your reviews being truthful or accurate in any way they just need to be entertaining yes so there you go 
All right, so uh, shall we get into the meat of the show? We'll move right on into uh, desktop virtualization. And just to give a, a recap, uh, when you virtualize uh, something, it's basically you take something that is hardware and make it software. And the example I like to use with that is uh, that calculator app that comes with Windows or with Linux, or I assume there's one on the Mac. It's, it's you know, you all have a calculator or have had a calculator at some point in your life, a physical device. This calculator in Windows is a virtual of that physical device. You've got your M plus and your MR button. You've got minus and times and, and you do all that sort of thing. It's just like interacting with a calculator, but it's a piece of software. Um, you forgot to mention on the Mac, it's five ninety nine, but it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> Had to slip that Having in Having said that... <laughs> um, <laughs> I just totally, totally derailed you, you did that. Well, you I was reminded of that link that I that I sent you this morning. Oh, do we yeah, want to yeah. talk about yeah, that? Yeah, the little It was uh, uh, reasons chart. reasons people buy a Mac and it was like uh, 1% because it has a, a Linux base, 2% less virusy, maybe 4% uh, crashes less often and then whatever's left, 97% of of ooh, shiny. <laughs> right. so those are the reasons people buy a Mac. But anyway, uh, so you're all familiar with virtualization, even if you don't realize it. Uh, it's anytime there's something that should be hardware but exists as software, that's virtualization. And you can actually virtualize an entire computer. You can take the processor and the RAM and the BIOS and the whole thing and virtualize that. And it's been around for a while now, and there are a few uh, companies who do it. And most of the best ones, actually, I, I'm trying to think off – the top of my head if anybody charges for it anymore they're all free anymore that you used right. to you used to pay for some of well parallels on the mac of course on the mac you pay for that <laughs> there <one>. you go. <laughs> uh, parallels on the mac is a paid app uh, but on windows or on linux uh, there are, are a number of free choices and uh, we'll talk about some of those uh, choices as we go along but first why would you want to do that sean why would you want to have a machine inside your machine why do you do it uh, well, for one, uh, and Windows 7, uh, coming with one built in, or, well, free, I guess uh, I should say. It 7 Premium does. I mean, a business does. Home right, doesn't. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, that, that's the perfect example of why I needed it. That's what it is. I never get the yeah. name right. Yeah, exactly. 7 Professional. Uh, because there's just some apps that aren't, or there's a compatibility problem. So, boom, I can, uh, jump right into XP. And, uh, run that app and that app thinks that it's on a computer running XP. So, uh, so it's, that's a great example. And, you know, thank you, Microsoft for doing that. Um, but, uh, uh, I also use, uh, VM. Well, I guess I pretty much that's really how it impacts that's the me primary day. Yeah. Right. Um, if you're, uh, uh, Microsoft, uh, when, when Windows 7 came out, it, it, they totally, uh, actually Vista, they totally rearranged the architecture of the way certain things work, uh, services, for example, and a lot of XP things didn't work. And they, a lot of businesses cited that as reasons not to move to Vista from Windows XP because their legacy apps didn't work. And so Microsoft decided with Windows 7, for the uh, professional version, they would include a free virtual machine. You have to go out and download it. It doesn't come with it, but it's free. So if you've got Windows uh, 7 Professional, you can go get that. It's simply called XP Mode. Right. And, uh, and apps just run alongside your 
um, other apps, you don't really recognize that they're in a virtual machine, but they are. That's the way they're doing it. They're using uh, Microsoft's uh, virtual PC, uh, which and they've just sort of rebranded that XP mode in, in Windows. But uh, you don't have to do that. You can actually go out and download uh, Virtual PC. Uh, just do a Google search for it. It's out there, and you can have uh, this software here. So we're going to run down the top three <clears throat> um, that we know about that that are the most common ones, uh, and that's uh, uh, Virtual PC that we already mentioned. They're a relative late comer to the virtualization world. That's that's the way Microsoft does things. They come in late. Then they do it really, really well after about the fifteenth version. Right. You know, the, the first version sucks. The second version sucks. The third version sucks a little less. The fourth version sucks worse than the third version. And then, but right. then, then eventually they get it right and they nail it. And so, virtual PC isn't quite in the nail it category yet, but it's getting there. It's a lot closer uh, than it has been in the past. Mark, I got a question on that uh, because I'm trying to recall when I set it up, and I really can't. Um, and We'll mention some of the these capabilities and the other ones, but did Virtual PC, does it give you the granular control in, in the setup process? Do you remember uh, as far as, you know, how much uh, memory you can allocate to it and all that? Um, I don't recall it doing that. Virtual PC does, XP mode doesn't. Okay. Um, so if you have uh, just the XP mode download, that gives you a free, fully licensed version of Windows XP set up the way they wanted it to be. Right. Now, if you just get their virtual PC software, then that's the same as a virtual blank hard drive. You you have to put whatever you want on it. Okay. So I will say this. Um, in any of these things that we talk about, uh, virtual PC or VMware or VirtualBox, whatever you put on there, you have to have a license for that operating system. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I've heard a, a number of people seem to think that they can – get away with just setting up as many virtual machines as they want. Right. And, you know, uh, is it technically possible? Yes. Is it legal? No. Right. So if you're a school district out there or a nonprofit and you're thinking this is a way that you can extend the life of machines or get functionality you didn't have, uh, you still have to pay a license for it. Right. You still have to, it is still a version of whatever software. Now, if you're using Linux, obviously there is no license, uh, for most Linux distributions. So that's not an issue. But anyway, um, to, to get back to, to what I was saying, the, the three primary players are virtual player, uh, excuse me, virtual PC, virtual box, uh, which is owned by Oracle mm -hmm. and, uh, VMware player, which is owned by VMware. Now, VMware, pretty much started it they they maybe not didn't invent it but they were the first to really push virtualization uh, uh, that's the one i'm kind of curious about because i'm it's of the three it's the one i'm the least familiar with right and up until recently you had to pay for vmware um they recently made it free on both the server and the uh uh desktop side and they sell services for it. So it's, okay. it's that freemium model. You start with, uh, the free one, but to get the really cool features, you have to pay for, for that. Uh, we mentioned in our server episode, uh, for example, if you have multiple servers set up as, and, and you have virtual machines, uh, running on them, if one server goes down, VMware can seamlessly move all your virtual machines over to another server while they're running and you never experience any downtime. Uh, that's their vMotion tool, which you pay for. So VMware server is free. The vMotion, the stuff that you actually care about, <laughs> you have to pay for. 
Right now, how how is it on the uh, on the desktop side? Is it something that I'd be used to seeing, like uh, in VirtualBox? I mean, is it a similar setup? Right, uh, they're all they all do things pretty much the same way. Um, my mic is. Yeah, let me make as much noise right. as possible here <laughs> as I move my mic. Sorry about that. Um, uh, you you open up, you launch the program, whatever it is. Uh, and you all, you, you always get pretty much the same thing. You, you have some sort of interface where you create a new machine. Oh, wow. Is that on your computer right now? Is that this, it? I'm looking at VirtualBox. Oh, uh, okay. I was going to say right that now. looks just like VirtualBox. <laughs> <laughs> well, VirtualBox, uh, largely copied VMware's way of doing things. Okay. Uh, now let me, let me back up a little bit. VMware comes in two components. There's the VMware server and the VMware player. <clears throat> Unless I'm mistaken, I, I didn't uh, uh, do a lot of additional research. I probably should have. But in my previous experience with VMware Player, uh, all it could do was play previously created virtual machines. Okay. You had to create your own virtual machine somewhere else. Now, VMware Server does that. Now, we run VMware Server on our servers, uh, but I don't run it on my desktop. Now, you can. You can download VMware Server and run it on your desktop. It doesn't have to be on a server machine. That'd be convenient if you had multiple, if you wanted to run multiple VMs on your desktop because of that interface where you get to right. kind of see them all. And, and VirtualBox does the same thing and, and so does uh, a virtual PC. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You see, and there's, there's my inexperience because right. I'm just using VirtualBox for one machine. You're all going to get some sort of, uh, dashboard of some sort that lists all your machines um, and you you create a new machine and then you have to create a virtual hard disk with it. Well, bef let's go back a step. First, you have to tell it what the guts of that machine look like, okay? Just like if you were building a machine on the Dell website, you would have to tell it what kind of processor you want, how much RAM you want, how many hard drives you want. You do the same thing when you're building a virtual machine, but it's all in software. So um, if you've got a quad-core processor, you can assign up to four processors to your virtual machine. Uh, you can give it one, two, three, or, well, one, two, or four, I think, in most cases. Um, you can't give it eight if you've only got four. Right. right. And RAM, for example, if you've got uh, 10 gigs of RAM, you can assign your virtual machine up to 10 gigs of RAM. Don't do that. Because, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, VMware Server is the only one I'm aware of that does dynamic uh, memory al allocation. You can actually assign more RAM than you have in the physical machine. Uh, but uh, the others I don't do not do that. They, they take a chunk of your RAM and set it aside. So if you've got four gigs of RAM in your laptop and you want to create a virtual machine and you assign it two gigs of RAM, it blocks off two gigs of RAM and nothing else gets to use that. So while that machine is running, your entire laptop, is running everything else on on two gigs of RAM. Right. So that's an important thing to remember as you're setting that up. You want to make sure you don't hose yourself early on. And generally, there will be requirement there uh, recommendations. There'll be a a default uh, setting that they recommend. Uh, and then you have to set up a virtual disk, just like you do um, a regular machine. You have to give it a hard drive or multiple hard drives. But all the virtual uh, systems that I'm aware of have a, a neat trick, and that is that they can dynamically expand the size of the disk. So if you say I'm going to give you a 100-gig hard drive of my 500-gig laptop drive, I'm going to assign 100 gigs to this virtual one, it doesn't allocate 100 gigs immediately. Okay. It allocates just what it needs and then grows that drive. 
Up to 100 gigs. Up to 100 gigs and never goes any farther. So okay. if you just load your operating system on it and you're only using 10 gigs, you haven't wasted 100 gigs of your drive space. <clears throat> so just my, the way I do it, 100 gigs is what I always put in. I, I don't have any virtual machine that ever uses 100 gigs, but I yeah. figure I'm always going to be fine there. Yeah, um, that does. That definitely seems like a lot, but... Uh, that's coming from my perspective of when I'm running a, when I'm running inside of a VM, I'm only doing it for one or two apps. One or two apps. And that's so, the way most of the time it's going to be. Right. So I could probably set mine, uh, quite a bit lower, but, uh, you're, you know, you kind of bounce. I mean, you live your life bouncing from one VM to another. Right. right? I, do, <laughs> I, mean, I do a lot of virtualizing. Right. Um, and we'll say here, uh, the the thing that both of us run uh, virtual machines for most of the time is uh, iTalk here at our school. Right. Um, iTalk does not like Windows 7. There's supposedly a new version coming that will like Windows 7, but the current version, the current stable release, doesn't. It crashes often and just is un. We found it to be unusable on our machines. So we each have virtual machines that run iTalk. And so that's, that's their only thing. They have a, an XP, uh, instance loaded and iTalk and that's all they do. You know, and I think, uh, to defend iTalk a little bit, I think it's the way that we're using it. I think he really didn't design it for the way that you and I use it, uh, where I, and maybe he did. I know we talked to him a little bit about that when we had him on the show, but, uh, our XML file is just so large because we have every classroom in the district right. in ours. Uh, but I've never heard of a teacher uh, a teacher's itout crashing where they just have their their one classroom but they are running it on xp too. well they are running it on xp but the funny thing is even in a vm on xp uh, it'll still crash it, it'll right. crash on us so i think there's something there and you know xml is such a simple uh format that you you would think that there wouldn't be any problems there but uh that's the one little buggy place so uh if it wasn't for a vm i mean we couldn't run it at all right so, uh, just looking at the machine I have right now, uh, the name of it is XPVM. I didn't get very creative there. It's running <laughs> Windows XP that we licensed from one of our licenses we have here at the district. It's using a gig of RAM. So, uh, my, my desktop has, uh, uh, 10 gigs. It, uh, one gig of that is set aside for this, uh, VM. It has a, uh, CD-ROM which is the CD-ROM that's attached to the machine. Now, that's the interesting thing about virtual machines. You can assign the physical thing so that you put in a disk and it works, or you can assign an ISO image that you would burn to a disk. So uh, that's the way I set up almost all my VMs. If you're going to do an installation, right, you would set up a, a CD, install a CD. Well, you can just point it at that ISO and say boot from this, and it thinks it is a CD. You don't have right. to. You don't have to burn the ISO. You don't have to unzip it. You don't have to do anything. It just does it. Um, and so that's a, a handy way to go about it. Once your VM is up and running, you can pop in USB sticks and pop in different uh, 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 CD-ROMs or DVD-ROMs, uh, and, and they all just work. Um, it's, uh, it's a very um, impressive thing what it's come, uh, come uh, to be. <clears throat> now, when I first heard of it, it was like in <clears throat> 97 or 98, there was a tool called Box, B-O-C-H-S, was the tool. Okay. And all the documentation was in German. And, and this guy had created the first, the, at least to my knowledge, BIOS virtualization. He didn't have a, a hardware, a hard drive builder, but he had instructions on how you could go build your own virtual hard drive <laughs> nice. uh, 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 tool. And, and my first experience was with that. And man, it was a pain and it was slow and it was buggy and it didn't work very well. Modern virtualization 
is well, of course, we have much more powerful machines than I had back in 1998 sure, for one sure. thing. But the the process the the technology has come a long way. The processors now have virtualization built right into it. If you've got an AMD or an Intel chip made in the last five years, it's got virtualization extensions built right into it. Okay. So it's designed to run virtualization. Um, so it's a, it's a really uh, neat thing and it's a great, it's a great sandbox. It's a way to, to test things as well. We've, we've talked about running apps that don't work anywhere else. Uh, but uh, another thing that I do often, as I've mentioned several times on the show, uh, my primary laptop at home for two and a half years was Linux. When I had a Windows app that I absolutely had to use, um, I just fired up a virtual machine. And right. I had XP, again, a licensed copy that I had, um, <laughs> and, and it would run it. So, for example, there is no, you can't do Netflix in Linux right now because it's Silverlight and there's not a good Silverlight yeah, client for yeah, Linux. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So when I was out at a hotel or whatever and wanted to watch Netflix, I opened up my Windows XP VM in Linux and watched Netflix in Linux. Yeah, and I don't know why, and uh, you can probably explain this one to me, Mark, but in at, at looking at it and you talk about watching video, something in my mind tells me that the video should come across choppy or out of sync or something like that, right? It just seems like that's what should right, happen. Right, the audio, there should be a delay or a lag or right, something. Right, yeah, there's... you know, something weird like that's going to happen, but I never see anything like that, so... Well, that's those hardware extensions that I talked about. They're, they're actually running straight off the chip. They're not going through software. Okay. Um, that's all built on uh, most, uh, most modern graphics cards uh, uh, can be accessed directly through, like I'm looking at uh, uh, my virtual box software right now. One of the uh, check boxes is for 3D acceleration. Right. So you can actually wow. get accelerated 3D, run 3D games in it, and it talks straight to the chip as if it were a native app on the, on the machine. <clears throat> yeah. So there is no, noticeable performance lag yeah i'm sure there is a performance lag but yeah it's there's got to be some overhead there but i guess like you said it's come so far now that they've really got it right. nailed down and it's the same on our servers i mean we have all of almost all of our servers here at our school are virtual and you don't know it when you interact with them right um the the only thing really that is a hit still is hard drive because you're not accessing an actual physical hard drive it's it's like opening a zip file Every time you access it. So there's a little overhead there. And if you're doing uh, data intensive things where you're really writing the hard drive, you can notice that. Which okay. is why our primary file server here at school is physical. It's not a virtual because that's where all the data goes back and forth. Okay. So that makes sense. Those are not times when you want to use uh, a virtual machine. Uh, but otherwise, uh, <clears throat> with. Um, VirtualBox, once you get the machine installed, uh, the soft, the, the operating system installed, be it Windows or, or Linux or, uh, I don't know, maybe you could do Mac OS. I've never tried. Um, you have to install something called, uh, uh VirtualBox Guest Editions. And what, that's additions, not editions. Guest, what Guest Editions does is, uh, gives you some, uh, better video and better mouse drivers so that, um, when I move my mouse from one window and then into my virtual box window, there's no 
no click, no no process you have to go through. It just it's just there. It's just active. Yeah, it's seamless, and you can really you you have to kind of it's like cat mouse, you know. Right. You you have to really experience it to know what you're talking about there. But uh, usually when you're working in a VM, you roll over that window and you've got to click to activate it, or sometimes some key combination, right. and, uh, and and especially it, to exit back out right. too. Oftentimes it captures your mouse, and you have to use some set of hotkeys in virtual machine. Uh, uh, VMware, it's Control Alt, and that releases your mouse and keyboard. Um, and and uh, in uh, Virtual Box, it's the the Control key on the right side of the keyboard. Then uh, forget what it is in uh, Virtual PC, but they they all have something like that. Right. But if you load this extra software that always comes with it it can generally make that go away so that it's just a seamless process. Yeah, you know, it's funny, though. Just the other day, uh, now that you're talking about that, I did, uh, I, you know, I did the upgrade. There was an upgrade to VirtualBox, so I went ahead and did the upgrade, and I had to reinstall that, Right. which uh, just caught me off guard, and I forgot what it was, you know, when uh, I did the VirtualBox upgrade, and then it said, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, you need to do this, too. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why didn't they roll them together? But it makes sense. They're too too separate pieces of software right because the virtual box editions is actually on your virtual machine right it's not on your regular machine so right. it doesn't get updated right um you you have to pop in the virtual cd to do it um now uh, almost all the linux well i'm not gonna say all all of them even uh the most uh, uh thinly uh built ones that i've ever used even puppy linux has those built right in. And if it recognizes that you're on a virtual machine, just loads it up. Oh, and wow. And you don't have to do anything. Nice. <clears throat> and how could you recognize you're on a virtual machine, you ask? Well, they all have a standard set of hardware. There's uh, the same uh, uh, video card driver. There's the same network card driver. So it's pretty easy for a software to recognize that it's in a, that it's in a virtual machine, which presents some downsides because some people – don't want their software running in a virtual machine. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know if that's still true, but at, at one point, Windows 7 wouldn't work in a virtual machine unless it was a Windows virtual machine, unless it was their virtual PC. Okay. It wouldn't run in VirtualBox or in VMware. It just said, no, it, we don't run on this machine. And somebody was telling me recently about, um, I believe it was one of Pearson's testing tools, that they wanted to test in a virtual machine, and it said, "Sorry, we don't install on virtual machines." Yeah, I remember that problem with Pearson, uh, and I don't know, maybe maybe that's changed here recently, but I do remember them having software that uh, nope couldn't put it on. I think it was their testing software. Now that it, now that you say right. that, I think it was. Yeah, and it just nope can't put it on a on a, a, a virtual PC at all, and. You know, uh, it's funny how often we have these software vendors come in and uh, sell one of the principals or somebody on some software, and uh, they come running to us and say, "Okay, we're ready. We need a server now. Yeah. Where's the server? <laughs> right? Uh. <laughs> and and yes, it won't run on a VM. So yeah. So there's another reason that uh, that you might want to run a, a virtual machine. It's a good idea. Every geek should have their own virtual machine and and probably the geeks listening to this do but a teacher's right. teachers should too uh for for a lot of reasons um testing things it, it, teachers I'm talking to you now okay listen to <laughs> yes. me geeks I'm I'm not talking to you teachers I'm talking to you listen to me carefully don't download just everything on the net and install it on your computer bad things will happen 
Yes. Um, that cute little game that your kid wants to play or that talking little widget that sits in the corner and you feed it pebbles throughout the day. Don't. No. It's a bad idea. Um, they are, they are virus and malware magnets. Often they are malware and, and they will mine your machine for your information and do all sorts of bad things. However, if you really, really feel the need to do these sort of things, I recommend setting up a virtual machine and doing it in that. Yeah, at the very least, that kind of, it does, you know, you, we use the word sandbox, but it does give you that sort of, uh, work and play environment right so if you've got your work machine and it's all set up and it's got all of your important documents and all of your important software on there and everything you know you can keep that configured that way and then you can have a separate environment where you do you know whatever it is you want to do um right now there's a particularly nasty virus going around and uh you know uh, we see it all the time in the classroom where teachers are clicking on something in an email or some link on the online. So, uh, yeah, do all that stuff in your VM and hose that. And if you, <laughs> right. if you do what, it, you know, I, I guess it's, it's hard to describe if somebody has never done it before, but it's so dead easy to set one of these up that if you do hose the machine, you just, okay, get rid of it and start another right. one up. Or, if you think you might, almost all of them have some sort of snapshot feature where you just say, right. record a snapshot of my current machine st state. Now I'm going to go do this. Uh-oh, I hosed it. Let's go back to that snapshot. Right. And so it's it's like a, a built-in backup. Uh, in fact, I'm looking at uh, uh, my XPVM right now in, in virtual machine. There's a, a picture of a camera. I click the camera <laughs> button. It takes a snapshot. And it said it records the exact state of my machine right now. So then I can go do whatever I want to do to install this thing that I think is suspect. And if it messes it up, I just go back to the snapshot. If it right. doesn't, I keep right on going. And you can do as many snapshots as you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, setting up a VM for a teacher, um, I mean, it might be a little bit daunting, but I guarantee you know, uh, you know, there's a tech or somebody around that is going to help get you over the, the few, very few hurdles. Cause, uh, you know, when you talk about setting up the hardware profile, um, and telling it how much RAM and something like that to an absolute noob, yeah, they're going to, they're going to look at that and feel like they're going to break something. But, uh, one, you can just kind of go on through there and usually you're going to get through it without really hosing anything. Uh, but if you really are not sure, I mean, ask somebody because it's right. not that difficult. Um, and another thing that, that I, the thing that I most use virtual machines for is testing whole operating systems. And, you know, we talk about it all the time. The, the new version of, of, uh, Ubuntu just came out. The, the first place I wanted to try it is on a virtual machine because I can have, I don't have to leave my desk, right? right. I'm sitting here at my desk with my comfortable, uh, um, setup and I just load it up and, and test it. And as we've said earlier, the, the performance is so close to native that you really get the full experience. Right. And it's not, you're not really missing anything. You can, you can full screen that thing and it takes over your computer and you don't know that you're not working at your computer if that's what you want to do. Right. In fact, Sean will often have, he's got two monitors. He'll have one monitor in the virtual machine, full screen, and the other monitor in his regular desktop and just move between them 
natively absolutely seamlessly and that's where it's huge for me because again with italc and that's that's my primary software for uh, uh remote support of all of our end users so that's my primary job right so uh i may be working on a project on one monitor and then uh have my other monitor up with uh with my italc going and yeah i've got windows 7 on the right and xp on the left and i can go seamlessly between them and i can get my job done so uh yeah it's a beautiful thing just gotta love it right and so if you are um maybe a linux advocate and you want to dip your toe into linux but you work in an environment where you have to have windows um build yourself a linux machine and then put windows in your virtual machine reverse that but people will often experiment with Linux in the virtual machine, but keep Windows on the desktop. I say reverse it. Put Linux on your desktop, make that your primary operating system, have a virtual machine with Windows 7 in it or, or XP, so that when you need to do that, you can. And uh, virtual machines have access to all your peripherals. I've, I've done video webcam chats in a virtual machine before. Um, I've done... Uh, uh, trying to think of what other things uh, usb sticks uh move back and forth and right. those are kind of cool you can actually move files from the virtual machine to the physical machine by way of a usb stick i've done that a few times well and you know uh another good one and this is uh windows 7 uh, and probably really anytime you get a new release of a of a windows uh os is what doesn't work Anything that needs a driver, right? Right. So uh, that's another one that I use mine for is because I cannot get my Windows 7 machine to print to our printers. And it was such a nightmare. And, you know, there was just, it wasn't going to work early on. Now, I haven't admittedly checked again here recently. Didn't need to, right? But I don't need to, right? So I'm like, okay, this is this is not going to work. It's not worth the effort. Boom, pop into my XP VM and set up the printer and I just print everything from there. I have all my files on the network share or, you know, on my network files. So uh, it's just easy. I pull it up on there, I print it and I'm done. So those are just some of our, our reasons for running uh, virtual machines. Another one is, is gaming. I mean, if you want to have uh, a virtual machine that just runs a particular game and you don't have anything else, you don't have your social media getting in your way or anything like that, you can do that. Uh, there's uh, Once you break out of the mentality of one machine that does everything and start thinking of multiple machines that do one thing, um, it, it's really easy to start looking for reasons to, to create a virtual machine. Yeah, and that's where I think uh, it, it made sense for us to do the first show in the server room because it just... It, that equates in the mind, right? You're like, oh, okay, I have all these servers and now I don't need all these expensive servers and I can combine them all into one piece of hardware. And that all makes sense in the server room. But yeah, the, just on the desktop, people don't tend to think of their hardware that way. And now, like you said, the hardware has gotten so advanced that we can start doing these things right. and do it quite easily. If you're sitting right now at a computer made after 2007, it's more computer than you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got more RAM than you need. It's got a faster processor than you need. The, the, the technology in hardware has outstripped our need for it. Uh, and so, uh, start using some of that untapped potential with a virtual machine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now I'm curious. Um, I'm going to bear my, uh, my noobness, uh, some here, but, uh, are we also talking about like a thin environment? 
I don't understand what you're asking. Well, I was kind of thinking like when we were talking about virtualization on the desktop was, were we going to extend it into like talking oh. about thin clients and, and extending the desktop down? No, I, that's something that we need to talk about. There is this whole, um, relatively new, um, market out there of actually virtualizing a desktop. Right. And so we're, what we're talking about, and I wanted to make that distinction. Thank you for, for bringing that up is we're talking about virtualization within your physical desktop machine, but there are tools out there that let you actually virtualize your whole desktop. It's like a thin client, but it's not a thin client. It's, it's a virtual machine delivered to a client. And, right. um, that's not something that I have any expertise with. It is something that I'd like to discuss in a future episode. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, I just wasn't sure. I know we've run some, uh, thin environments before and, um, uh, there, know. there were, there was a company I was looking at uh, a few years ago. It was called Ardent's Desktop Streaming and they've been sold and I don't know who owns them now. And I'm too lazy to do a five second Google search to find out. <laughs> um, but they had a, a, a unique idea and it was this virtual virtualization that we're talking about right now, but each, desktop, like uh, let's say you talk about a lab of 30 computers, each one of those would be running, all 30 of them would be running off of one virtual image. And so you change that virtual image and all 30 computers get uh, the benefit of it. Right. But it's not like a, a, a remote desktop where you have a big server that they're all a accessing. It's a server hosting a single image. So you could you could have those 30 machines running 30 different images or all of them running off of the same 30 of them running off of the same image. Wow. Yeah. They called it desktop streaming and it was a, a really good idea. Uh, the reason I didn't go for it was it was cost prohibitive at the time. The idea there was, uh, again, I, I, I don't want to belabor this, but licensing is something you got to pay attention to. Okay. Yeah. So with their method, I, I forget what it was. I think it was like $50 per seat. Okay. Um, so I had to pay them $50 then I pay, had to pay $100 to get Windows on each of those seats. Yeah, you had to pay Microsoft. Right. Then I had to have some hardware device, and they recommended um, something like uh, basically the equivalent of a netbook. So then, then I'm looking at three to $400 for that. So that by the time I added all that up, it was cheaper to just buy desktops and put Windows on them. Right. Uh, and that's been my experience with a lot of these desktop streaming virtualization sort of things. Uh, our, our friend in the chat room, Jeremy Fluman, who's, who's been uh, on this show a couple of times is a big fan of a tool called, uh, uh, v, uh, VDI Verde, something like that. I forget. He's going to, he's going to kill me for not knowing. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a company that, uh, that is out of Austin, Texas that he's, uh, experimented with. But again, and having that conversation with him, by the time you've purchased some sort of hardware to put the machine on, plus your licensing fees, plus that extra that it costs to put this virtualization technology in place, it never seems cost effective to me. And they always talk about, well, you save money on administration. No, I'm going to get a salary no matter what. You know, it's, right. it's not like they're going to fire me because they did this. I, I don't buy that argument. I've never bought that argument. I never will. You pay your people to do the job. If they're not doing a job, you don't need the people. And if they are doing the job, you don't need to save them, you know, their time. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Was that uh, VDI Bridges or something? V-Bridge. V-Bridges. V-Bridges. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. I remember him posting about that. Okay. Uh, and his idea, and it makes sense, is you can have these virtual 
environments. You can have Windows XP, Windows uh, 7, Linux, uh, uh, whatever out there, and you can spit those out to any desktop at any time. You can just provision it and say, this machine gets Linux this time, and the next time it reboots, it gets Windows. I like that. That all makes a lot of sense. But again, we're the tightwad tech. It all has to come down to that bottom line. If it costs me more than simply dual booting a physical machine, there's no reason to do it. Right. You I'm know, somebody who have to sell me on another reason. I'll put it that way. It's funny you were talking about the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the saving money. You know, they try to sell you on the cost savings of the administration, and that isn't that kind of like when your wife comes to you and says, uh, "Honey, I got all these coupons, and look how much money I saved." <laughs> you know how you save money? You stay home. Right. You don't right. go to the store. We didn't need eighteen pairs of shoes. <laughs> But we might someday. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't want to digress too much, but this is, my mom was a coupon clipper and growing up, we never had anything that wasn't on sale ever. Uh -huh. um, and she found a sale on uh, canned goods and it was like double coupon day. And then they were giving double coupons off of that. She bought corn. I remember canned corn like nine cases of canned corn. <laughs> we did not buy canned corn again for three years because right. of that one, one day. And, and I, maybe that made sense, but I'm thinking maybe if we had bought a regular amount of canned corn over those three years, it probably would have been about the same amount of money. Right. And, and then it's like, you know, because you've spent all of your money, then all you're eating is canned corn. Right? <laughs> you know, yep. Sorry. No steak this week. <laughs> have some corn. I spent all the steak money on corn, but I got it at a really great price. <laughs> and now that we've uh, alienated 50% of our audience, we'll move on to our uh, tips of the week and uh, my tech tip of the week is a new one for me and I will uh, preface it with this I haven't actually tried it I'm uh, going entirely off of uh, website recommendations but uh, this is a tool called PC, uh, PC Login Now and that's the website, pclogindnow.com. Uh, this was a tool that used to cost money, but is now freeware. I don't know why they made the change. I didn't ask. Uh, but this is a, uh, a password reset for Windows. So somebody comes to you and says, I don't know my password. I've forgotten it. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, um, how do I get in? This tool, uh, basically it boots a Linux uh, uh, disk off a CD and it, hacks the password for you, lets you reset it or, or uh, eliminate it. And they say on their website that it has a 100% recovery rate. That's the one I questioned because <laughs> we we know of a couple of uh, good tools for just this uh, sort of thing, and uh, none of them seem to have a 100% recovery rate. So uh, I'm going to have to check that out just to see you know how accurate that statement is. Uh, I'd love it if it was right. Just to uh, uh, we have a couple of tools in our in our uh, repertoire here. Um, uh, one is called. Oath crack, O T H crack, I think it is. Uh, and the other one is simply called NT password recovery. They're both Linux based. They both do the same thing. You, you boot up, uh, a Linux, uh, um, environment and you modify the registry file appropriately. And right. it's, it's really complicated and arcane. You can do it manually if you've got balls of brass and you want to go in there and, <laughs> and try it. But, uh, these guys have automated that process. Um, 
there is a danger to it. I have, I've done it, uh, probably 10 times over the, over the, as many years and I've hosed one machine in the process. So, okay. um, you know, that's a 10% failure rate at my experience. Well, and usually you're doing that for somebody else anyway. So th- when you're doing something like this for somebody and they're like, you know, I forgot my, my password right. and I can't get into my computer or whatever. That's where you, you always tell them. Yeah. Hey, There's a chance this is going to hose everything. Right. But you know, I mean, they're, pretty well you know they're in a bad situation right. anyways i mean what are they going to do so yeah the the last time i did this somebody uh, uh brought me their father's computer their father had died obviously he couldn't tell anybody the password right and so i was able to crack into it and they were able to get to his financial documents that they needed to so um i will say use uh for uh use your powers for good and not evil yeah white hat only right <laughs> the the dark side of the force uh is strong and and we'll call you to it but but resist all right so i guess it's time for me to jump in with my teacher tip and uh it is linoit linoit.com is that right that feels like i'm saying it wrong Lino or Lino? Yeah, linoit.com. Uh, basically, Linoit is an online uh, corkboard with sticky notes. It's very simple, and I'm pretty sure that uh, just based off of interacting with it that it's uh, probably Flash-based. But uh, So if you can just imagine, it's very simple. You go there. You don't even have to have an account with them to, t- to test it out and interact with some of these boards. And you can just throw up uh, sticky notes, virtual sticky notes, onto a virtual corkboard. Uh, now, to have your own or create your own cork board you have to sign up for an account but it's free so as we like things around here it's uh it's free and you can just go on there uh i'm i was looking at it and i i really wasn't all that impressed by it i'm usually not impressed by these kinds of things because there's a lot of ways to do uh similar things that talk about how this is a tool that you can collaborate on and uh do that but i always personally think that there's uh better ways to collaborate on a project or whatever but uh, quite honestly, when you think about uh, the classroom and maybe working with kids, uh, it's a really neat environment to collaborate on. Uh, Mark's playing around with it now, and he just very easily uh, put a picture of himself up on the on the corkboard there. And couple of notes: there's a, a link you can link YouTube videos. So I could see this as a, a class project collaboration or at a conference. Right. Maybe you have a, a a corporate corkboard, and everybody posts their notes and their videos and their pictures too. Yeah, or you could even see. You know, uh, I know that's been a, a soft topic here around our district where. Uh, uh, you know, people always have some bake sale or their kids selling Girl Scout cookies or something like that. So maybe you could have something like that as a uh, kind of the water cooler thing uh, for uh, for your office or whatever. Um, there's a there's actually one in there uh, on the very front page, and I believe it's a it's one that was developed for the ISTE conference. Uh, I, I went on there and just noticed that a lot of the posts on there were people who were uh, were at ISTE or maybe somebody had presented on this at ISTE and that's just how that got there. But um, it's dead simple. Certainly uh, children of just about any age. I mean, if they can work a mouse and click, uh, they're going to be able to do uh, 
do this. Uh, so uh, great to check it out. You talked previously about a tool called Live Binders, which is uh, this right. is a, I can see a competitor to that an idea of collecting disparate materials, a Google Doc, a, a picture, uh, a note that you want to write, a, a YouTube video, and throwing it all in one place and annotating it. So you can see uh, you get uh, all sorts of information when you click on something. You get to see uh, who did it and when they did it, and you can write notes and you can tag it. So yeah. you can have all, all your certain tags show up uh, w when you search, um, and you can mark things as private so that only you can see them. Yeah. Um, another thing I just wanted to note that uh, you have to be 13 or older to actually have an account. So uh, that could come into play. But again, you only have to have an account to create a cork or corkboard. So if the teacher creates one and uh, and makes that uh, makes that public, then the students can always go on there as a guest and, and add to it uh, all they want. Um, they do have an appropriateness of content clause in their terms, uh, terms of uh, service there. So uh I didn't see anything inappropriate on there, but teachers always be careful when you're using something on the web that there may be other public content out there, and you really want to be careful about where you direct your kids. Right. Give them the link to your court board only. Right. Exactly. So uh, just just a few things to mention there, but uh, yeah, check it out. It's linoit.com. Looks pretty cool. And with that, uh, we'll just move on to the part where we tell you how you can contact us <laughs> if you want to be as cool. Oh, Mark just lost just his mic. There we my go. Plug. If you want to be as. <laughs> you got it? Yeah. All right. I have really large feet. <laughs> and yes, so I, yes, you do. I tend to kick things <laughs> often. I kick my cable. If you want to be as cool as Darren Murphy at, uh, uh, was who, who sent us our, uh, feedback for this week, you too can go to our website at thetywadtech.com and, uh, there is a contact us button right at the top. And you can send us a neat email and tell us whatever you want to tell us. And if it's good and complimentary, we'll write it on. Let's face it, if it's bad, we're so dry, we're so desperate, um, <laughs> it can be dry and boring and we'll still post it. Uh, so you can use that. Or if you want to leave us a voicemail, uh, you can go over there on the, on the right-hand side of the page and there's a little voicemail widget. You simply enter your phone number and enter your name and say, call us. And uh, um, Google Voice will call you and you can leave us a voicemail. Or if you just want to do that, if you're out and about on your cell phone and you see something really cool and you think that you want to tell us about it, that phone number is 530-Google-Frugal-2. Uh, 530-Frugal-2. <laughs> and uh, if you're outside the country, that is plus one, 530-Frugal-2. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's funny that you, you know, you were talking about uh, Darren contacting us and it just got me to thinking that uh, with our web presence, we haven't really been bashed yet. You know, I mean, if you go and post something on YouTube, I mean, it could be, uh, butterflies kissing kittens and they're going to, people <laughs> Somebody, are lame, yeah, yeah, stupid, you're retarded, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and, uh, we, we have yet to get anything like that yet. So I think maybe we should, you know, count ourselves fortunate. <laughs> So, uh, so I'll just jump right in here and say, uh, I think that was a great show. You do? You think yeah. it was a great show? Yeah, pretty good. I think it was okay. <laughs> I, I give it eight and a half out of ten. Well, either way, I'm going home. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for joining us. And for this week, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs> <laughs>